Let's go to the book of Isaiah this morning. Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 5. Our opening text this morning is a passage of Scripture which is prophesying, the, uh, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying about the arrival of Jesus and the coming kingdom of God. And as he begins to talk about the change that Jesus is going to bring, this is what he says in verse 5, the foolish person will no longer be called generous. He's speaking about a change all through this passage that is going to come into a toxic money culture. How many people know that in our age we have a toxic money culture? And he said, the foolish person will no longer be called generous. The miser said to be bountiful. But the foolish person will speak foolishness and his heart will work iniquity to practice ungodliness and to utter error against the Lord, to keep the hungry unsatisfied. And he will cause the drink of the thirsty to fail. In other words, people are going to miss out. In, in a toxic money culture, people miss out. And then he says in verse 7, all the schemes of the schemer are evil. He devises wicked plans to destroy the poor with lying words. Hashtag afterpay. Hashtag after payday loans. Hashtag vehicle finance deals. He will destroy the poor with lying words when the needy speaks, even when the needy speaks injustice. But, and now he begins to prophesy about a standard that the Lord is going to raise on the earth in the New Testament church, a group of people that are going to come up inspired by God, that are going to lift up a standard in the middle of a toxic money culture, in the middle of a world that exploits and rips people off. The Bible says this is going to be God's standard. But a generous man devises generous things. And by generosity, he shall stand. A generous man devises generous things. And by generosity, he shall stand. I want to talk to you today around the theme, I get to. I get to. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we dive into this message, I'm just praying you'd open every heart. Father, you'd give us freedom in this room that you would speak to us, communicate your word with life and liberty. May it change lives and hearts. We ask in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. If you know my story, I became a Christian when I was 18 years old. On the May the 12th, five weeks after my birthday, when I turned 18, I gave my life to Jesus and I radically turned my life around. Just over one year later, August of the following year, I went to a conference and during the conference, I got set on fire for God. My life began to change quickly and radically. My life direction began to change. What I wanted to do with my life was radically altered. I wanted more of God. I wanted to see revival. I was desperate for a move of God to come into Aotearoa and upon the earth. I began to pray, and soon after I began to pray and really seek the face of God, I began to feel like God was calling me into full-time Christian ministry. It took me weeks. I mean, I'm four years into a career in insurance, whoop, whoop, but four years, four years into the journey, so I've now got a little bit to leave on the table, and I felt like God was saying to me, give this all away and go full-time in a journey of Christian ministry. 
Finally, I said yes to God. I resigned my job. I gave them about three months notice, 12 weeks notice, and I began to prepare for work as a volunteer in Christian ministry. Okay, at this point, obviously I've been saved for over a year, so I've now got this amazing thing called savings. Anybody heard of that? Yeah, it's a crazy word when you've got it, it really changes your life, and I had it, I had savings. And suddenly, those savings became hugely important to me. The key word in my preface was Christian worker, volunteer, volunteer. So now I'm resigning this job and I'm like, well, I better save more. I better prepare. I better get ready. And after about two or three weeks into this journey of like, I've resigned my job. I've said yes to Christian ministry. I'm saving money. And about two or three weeks in, I went along to a prayer meeting on a Friday afternoon that was housed at the ministry that I was about to join. For those in our Auckland location, it was on Stoddard Road in Mount Roskill. But here I was in this prayer meeting on a Friday afternoon. We're praying for the ministry that I'm about to join. And the leader of the prayer meeting says, guys, we're now going to pray for this member of our team. They're in real financial need. Their car is broken down. They're financially up against the wall, can't pay their fundamental bills. They need a miracle of provision. And right now we're gonna pray for them. So I'm like, okay, let's pray. So we all gather around. We begin to pray for this person. And I'm saying, God, would you meet their need? God, would you meet their need? God, would you meet their need? And then I felt like the Lord began to speak to me. And God said, you meet their need. And I'm like, wait, wait, no, no, no. Wait, what? I'm praying, God, meet their need. God, meet their need. And then I hear the Lord say, you meet their need. And I'm like, no, you meet their need. And God said, no, I want you to meet their need. I'm 19 years old. I have resigned my job. I am going full-time in ministry. And now God is saying, I want you to meet this financial need. It freaked me out. I left that prayer meeting completely weirded out. I remember walking to the car park. You ever had a moment like this? I remember that there was asphalt, but it was broken up. There were small stones on the ground. This was a vivid memory. Why? Because it's about my money. I remember hopping in my car or the car that I had, and I remember leaving the prayer meeting, and I am weirded out. I'm like, what just happened here? This is crazy. Was that God? And everywhere I went for the next week, it wouldn't leave me. You meet the need. You meet the need. I'm like, I bind you, devil. You meet the need. You meet the need. You meet the need. I struggled with this for literally about 10 days until finally I was like, God, I remember ducking down behind a pillar at my office, on my office block about three in the afternoon going, God, if this is what you're saying to me, I'm just gonna go for it. I don't know what happens next. So that day I went down to the bank I withdrew everything that I had in my bank account, $1,300. Remember three things. Okay, number one, I have resigned my job. Number two, I'm 19 years old. $1,300 is not chump change when you're 19 years old. And number three, it's the year 1992. $1,300 was a little bit more than it is in the year 2021. 
I went into the office that Friday, literally that Friday night. I went back and before that prayer meeting, walked up to the person's desk who we'd been praying for. I was like, okay, this is what God's told me. How much do you need? And they told me into the $10, it was what I had in my hand. And I put it down in front of them. And I said, well, you know what? You go meet your needs. We're good. You can now pay all your bills. And I turned around and I walked out. I'm eight weeks out from full-time Christian ministry as a volunteer, and I have not a cent to my name. I was broke. That's not a Greek word, broke. (laughs) I'd been obedient to God, and now I had nothing. Well, what was amazing was the next day, somebody came up to me, and they handed me a check for $100,000. No, that's not what happened at all. I wish that had happened, but no. I woke up the next day and guess what? I was broke. And the day after that, I was broke. And the day after that, even though I checked my bank account, it was still empty. I had given all my money away, AKA, I didn't have it anymore. But I look back on that moment in my journey and I'm so thankful for it. Because that moment forever changed my relationship with money and has started for me what has become a lifelong journey of learning to grow in the grace of giving, in the grace of giving. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 7 tells us that just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in your complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I wanna point out here, team, that the Bible's not talking about tithing when it talks about this. Tithing is returning. It's giving back to God that which rightfully belongs to Him. This is talking about giving. Malachi 3.10 tells us that there are tithes and offerings. Our tithe is our first tenth and we return it to God. Our offerings are what we choose to give beyond that. And the Bible tells us that God wants us to excel. He wants us to excel in faith, in speech, in love, but He also wants us to excel in the grace of giving. Giving. Giving is voluntary sacrifice. It's choosing to do something with our financial means to make a difference in the world beyond us. It's from the heart. It is a response. Giving is a response to the leading of God. Giving is meeting needs. Giving is sowing seeds. Giving is empowering God's work on the earth. Giving is being the hands and feet of Jesus. Giving is how we make the world a better place. And the Bible tells us that God wants us to excel in giving, to sow financial seeds, that will empower the work of God in our generation and make the world a better place. As believers in Jesus, we are called to give. Let's go to the man himself. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, give and it shall be given unto you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together. It will come pouring into your lap. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to give. Here I am. I'm 19 years old. I gave away my life savings on the eve of starting into ministry. 
Now, in the middle of that winter, because this was like December of the previous year, the following year, in the middle of winter, I'm six months into full-time Christian ministry, and my financial needs were both extensive and expensive. Anybody know what I'm talking about here? And one of the biggest needs that I have was that I had no car. I mean, I'm full-time in ministry. I'm literally preaching and churches and youth groups about four to five days a week, and I have no car. I'm relying on other people for transport, or I'm catching the bus. And then one day, about June of that year, someone came up to me, and they gave me a $12,000 car, a a Toyota Corona diesel station wagon. It cost me 20 bucks of diesel to fill it. I drove that car for the next three years up and down the North Island of New Zealand, 450,000 kilometers over the next few new years. I drove up and down this country preaching in tiny churches and in tiny youth groups. It allowed me, it became the backbone of getting me started in ministry. And I will never forget the day I drove away from the car yard in that vehicle, the Lord spoke to me and he said, when I asked you, you gave to me. Now when you're asking me, I've given to you. You are reaping because of what you have sown. Church, I want you to know that there is power in your giving. If you believe it, every campus, put your hands together and give your God some praise. Proverbs 11 verse 25, those who live to bless others will have blessings poured upon them. And the one who pours out his life to pour out blessings is gonna be saturated with favour. From the NIV Bible, it says, a generous person will prosper and whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. God wants his favour to be on your life. But in order for us to walk in his favour, the Bible says we have to learn to give. Let's get very clear, guys. God is a giver. John 3, 16, God so, how many, how many, come on, come on. I know we're talking about giving, but you can still get animated. God so, the world that he, God so, the world that he, because his heart is full of love, his actions are full of giving. The truth is though, that when we talk about our world and our lives and the reality of where we're living, there's always tension when we talk about giving. There's no denying it. It is a God principle running all the way through the scripture, but it does run counter to the spirit of our age. And when you start to lean into this thing of giving, the truth is you quickly come up against tension and resistance when it comes to the notion that we are supposed to give. 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us that someone living on, entirely, on an entirely human level rejects the revelations of God's Spirit because they make no sense. And here's the thing, giving, if you're living on the level of this world, it makes zero sense. Like I said, I gave it away and then I had nothing. And the nature of giving, it means once you've given it, you don't have more, you have less. Remember that when Jesus started to talk to his disciples about the fact that he was going to give his life for our freedom and forgiveness. The Bible says that one of his disciples, Peter, pulls him aside and he says, never, Lord, this will never happen to you. 
To which Jesus replied in Matthew 6, 23, and he said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. He's saying, listen, you are thinking and living on an entirely human level. You can't receive this because it's coming from God. And that's why it makes no sense to you. And friends, whenever God begins to speak to us about giving, let's be very clear, the devil is going to resist it. Because what we do in the arena of giving has the power to change the world. Giving creates tension because it is in opposition to the spirit of this age. I mean, think about some biblical examples, some crazy biblical examples where Abraham waited 29 years for his son Isaac to be born. We don't know how old the kid is, but we guess it's somewhere around the age of 12 to 14 years old. God speaks to Abraham and he says, I want you to sacrifice that son as an offering to me. Heavy. What a crazy thing to be asked to give. Yet the Bible tells us that Abraham, the very next morning, he gets up before the dawn, makes a three-day journey, climbs the mountain of God, assembles an altar out of stones, takes his son Isaac that he's waited 29 years for, binds him with ropes and lays him on an altar, lifts a knife in the air, and is about to do what God asked him to do. Then the Bible says in Genesis twenty two twelve that the angel of the Lord Jesus interrupts him and says, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld. You have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And then God says, and I swear by myself in verse 15, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. You will take descent, de, your, your descendants will take possession of the gates of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Because you obeyed me. Because you have not withheld because you are willing to give what I asked of you. This is what I am now going to do. Crazy. What preceded Abraham's blessing was him giving what God asked him to give. How's the rich young ruler? Have you ever read that story? The Bible tells us there's this rich young ruler. He's got money, youth, and fame. He's literally the first yuppie we find in the history of the world. <laughs> But the Bible tells us that he can't get a connection with God. He's separated from God. He's shut off from God. And he comes to Jesus in desperation saying, something in my life has got to change because I'm a million miles away from you even though I'm here on my knees in front of you. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus toys with him a little bit. And then finally, the Bible says, he looks at him and he loves him. Loves him. God will never ask you to do something for him out of any other motive than love. And the Bible tells us that the rich young ruler, Jesus looks at him with eyes of love and he says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and then come and follow me. Now let's get two things clear. Number one, Jesus absolutely wants us to give to the poor, but it is not exclusively the only arena Jesus wants us to give to. Jesus was killed or 
betrayed by Judas because Judas wanted a bottle of perfume that had been poured over Jesus' feet to be sold and given to the poor. It's not about the direction of the giving. It's about the obedience of it. And the Bible tells us that when this rich young ruler was asked to do this, that he went away sad because he had great wealth, to which Jesus said in the awkward silence following, it's pretty hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. If money has your heart, it's very hard to get a right connection with God. And then the Bible says that as as everybody's kind of in the quiet of this aftershock moment, that Peter begins to realize, you asked me to leave everything and follow you. And I left my nets, I left my home, I walked away from all I had to follow you. And so he blurts out, we left everything to follow you. And Jesus said to him, well, I tell you the truth. No one who has left a home or a brother or a sister or a mother or a father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecutions. Surprise, surprise, blessing doesn't come without a price. And in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus said, not only do I ask you to give, He said, man, if you give for me and for the gospel, I'm gonna bless you because of what you give. There's a crucial phrase in here, for me and for the gospel. When it comes to giving, we never give because it makes us look good. The kind of giving God rewards is not where we get our name in a plaque. It's not so that we get known or so that we get invited into a special room. It is for Jesus and for the gospel. For Jesus and for the gospel for the cause of Christ, to make the world a better place. That has got to be at the heart of all of our giving. And Jesus declares, if your purpose is right, I'm going to bless you because of what you give. Giving is a massive theme of the Scriptures. The Bible tells us in, in Proverbs 11 verse 14, 24, sorry, Proverbs 11, 24, the world of the generous gets larger and larger and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And we're gonna see this contrast everywhere we turn in the Bible. But right now, let's turn to our New Testament handbook on giving, 2 Corinthians chapter nine. I wanna take you on a little journey through this. I hope you're enjoying it so far. Buckle your seatbelts, we've got a little bit to go. 2 Corinthians chapter nine, we're gonna start reading in verse six. Remember this, Paul said, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You sow sparing, you reap sparing. You sow generous, you reap generous. Notice with God, it's never about the amount, but it is about the measure. Is your measure sparing or is your measure generous? And the Bible tells us that you reap in accordance with your measure. Luke 6:38, one more time. Give and it will be given to you a good measure. Press down, shaken together, running over into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So when it comes to giving, the question that we have to ask is: is our measure sparing or is it generous? Have you ever read that story where Jesus is uh, 
in the temple, and the Bible tells us that he's watching what people give. I don't know if you, maybe you've tried to move on from that, right? But I'm a pastor, and I have a lot of awkward conversations about giving and money, and so I just lean into that. I love that, that Jesus is just sitting there in the temple like, you know, Kiwis, we want everything to do with our money to be so secretive, like, this is me. You just keep away. Don't you come near this. This is my, this is my money. And the Bible tells us that Jesus is there like, okay. Well, let's have a look at this. Let's see what, is that what you got? I mean, Jesus is sitting there, and in the, in the, the Bible tells us he's checking out what people are giving. And the scripture says this rich guy comes in, gives something, another guy comes in, gives something, and then in comes this woman, and she gives two small coins. And this is what Jesus said of her in Luke 21, 3 and 4. He said, I tell you, this poor widow has given more than all the others. All these people gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. The measure, the measure she used was a crazy, generous measure. She sowed generously. And you know what? She's going to reap generously too. When Jillian and I were in our first year of marriage, you, you might have heard the story before. It's a, I love it. It's a great, it's, a, it's an oldie but a goodie. But in our, in our first year of marriage, I was still a, a Christian voluntary worker, right? We got married and then we had about eight months before we even got a paycheck. And, and when we're in that first stint of time, we're getting used to the fact that, you know, you've got to, I don't know, you do grocery shopping. You know, it's fundamentals when you're, when you're 23 and 20, you know what I mean? You're, you're just trying to figure this stuff out. And so we, 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 we had invited this couple over out to our home for dinner, and it was a midweek night, and we didn't have any money coming on the horizon. And as we were preparing for them to come, literally like, this is about four in the afternoon, Jillian says to me, she says, baby, we have one frozen chicken. That's all we have. It's, that's, that is the freezer. Look, there is ice cubes and a frozen chicken. We have, we have these little measure of roast vegetables, and then that is it. That's what we have left to live on. We've got this couple coming around. I don't know how to break it to you, but they're not small eaters. What are we going to do? And the choice was cancel or have them come. And I said, baby, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna, we're gonna sow this chicken. That's what we're gonna do. We aren't just gonna get, we're gonna sow this chicken and we're gonna believe for God's favor to be over our seed that we sow. Yeah, I'll take your applause. So, so these people came over. I said the most anointed, spiritual, genuine grace you have ever heard in your life. This was not a perfunctionary, like God bless the food and the hands that prepared it. This was like, Father, bless this food in the name of Jesus. Lord, let it multiply, let it be favor. God, like I was like, this was an anointed prayer. We ate that chicken and sure enough, they were picking everything off the bones. We didn't even get, you know how sometimes when you get a chicken, you get to like have sandwiches. And, no, it was gone. The whole chicken was gone. Well, the next morning, I was still in bed. And as I'm in bed, we had like this tiny little house, smaller than the stage I'm on now. And then there was like the master bedroom, the only bedroom. And then outside, it had an ensuite only because there was just like a circle around the house. You know what I mean? Like there was a door to the bathroom, to the kitchen, to the lounge. That's your doors. Okay. So I'm in bed. And as I'm in bed, I hear this 
vehicle come up into our driveway, diesel. And then I hear stop and I hear as a roller door begins to slide open. So I jump out of bed, get you know presentable to some degree, come outside onto the porch. And there's one of my friends from our youth group on the driveway outside and he says to me, do you like chicken? And I said, yes. And he said, well, a freezer just broke down. I've got nine frozen chickens to give away. So we had frozen chickens like crammed into every nook and we were like, get in there, into our freezer. We had like two or three in the fridge. We were roasting chickens the whole day through. It was amazing. We gave one chicken, we got back nine chickens. I've never before or since seen such a radical impact from my giving. But the truth is, friends, it comes back to the measure. Because in life, you can live sparingly or generously. You can live tight or liberal. You can live guarded, my money, or you can live open. And God says that He absolutely wants us to have a heart to give. Have you read that story with the, the guy, the boy, who gave his lunchbox so that Jesus could feed 5,000 people? Let's, let's just dial into it. He is such a distance from where people could access food that the miracle was needed. The boy is a boy, okay? Meaning in Jewish culture, he's 13 years old or younger. Hello, that means constantly hungry. And all he has is his lunchbox. Yet when the need was presented, he gave all that he had to Jesus. Two keys to sowing. Number one, it has to be blessed in order for it to multiply. You have to give it firstly to Jesus. The second thing to recognize when it comes to sowing is that it has to be given away in order to sow. You don't get to keep it, control it, own it, and say that you're sowing it. But because this boy was willing to give it to Jesus and take his hands off it, then the Bible tells us that Jesus took it, he fed 5,000 people with one boy's lunch, and at the end, when the leftovers were collected, the boy gets handed back 12 basketfuls of leftovers. I don't know how a kid can carry 12 baskets back to mum, but mum's pretty happy with son's ROI. Return on investment. You cannot outgive God. Verse six, what the, the Bible says, who sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. In verse seven, the Bible tells us that each of us should give what we've decided in our heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When it comes to giving, we should only ever give what we've decided to give. If you are reluctant, don't give. If you feel under pressure or compulsion, don't give. Don't give. If you feel pressure, if you feel like you have to, don't give. Why? Because giving is about the heart. We don't give to get. That's not our desire. We should be immune from the thought that if we give in this offering that somehow we're then gonna reap a hundredfold next week, we should be unable to be whipped up, hyped up, and we should never have a selfish motive attached to what we do. The motive must be not give to get, but give to give. 
I'm giving because I get to give. I'm giving because it is an honor to give. I'm giving because God made me to give. I'm giving because that's how I make the world a better place. Our expansion offering has been an annual thing that we have done since our church started where people go above and beyond their tithe to give. And because of that expansion offering, we have been able to make a difference in our community, to start new locations, reach lost people, expand Arise Care, build buildings, being able to do so much of what we do. But everything about that expansion offering has been made possible by people who have chosen to sacrificially give. Sacrificially give, to choose to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but because they believe that Jesus is the hope of the world, because they believe that the church is how God moves, because without the church, remember? Remember when we talked about Abraham in the opening week and about how the king of Sodom said, you just keep all your money because I want all the people. And the expansion offering is where we give our money so that heaven gets the people. And I think about that because the thing is our expansion offering is about things like people who just say, I'm gonna give a cup of coffee a day. And by giving a cup of coffee a day, rather than buying it, I'm gonna live on instant or I'm gonna brew it on my stove, take it in a thermos. Because of people doing that, if 2,000 people gave a coffee today, $1,500 over a year to the expansion offering. If 2,000 people did that, then we could raise $3 million. I remember in the, uh, uh, several years ago, there was one high school student who in an expansion offering decided that she was gonna give over the next year $1,000. She's in her final year of high school and she gave $1,000. She had to make her lunch, not just to go to school, but to go anywhere that she went. That isn't about giving to get. That's about giving to give. Now, this is what I can assure you. God's gonna abundantly bless her, her life, and her future. But the motive was never give to get. The motive was I give because that is what God has called me to do and that's how I make the world a better place. Come on, let's keep going. Let's go to verse eight. We're only two verses in. Verse eight, and God is able to bless you abundantly. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is able to bless you abundantly so that you always having everything you need can abound in good works. This is a verse that takes us wildly into the grace of giving because it's saying that God is literally able to bless you abundantly. Guys, listen up. You are the only person on earth who can decide what the right level of giving is for you. You're the only person on earth who can decide what the right level of giving is for you. Because here's the truth, God is able to bless you abundantly. But there's a role that we need to play in His work being outworked through us. He is ready, willing, and able to use whomever will allow Him to use them. In our first year of marriage, I'm sorry, in our third year of marriage, Jillian and I uh, went to Europe 
because we got invited to sit in a room with Reinhard Bonnke for two days, and we literally put everything we had into getting that opportunity in our lives. And we came back, and when we got back to New Zealand, we were youth pastors now, and it was about a month later that we had, no, no, about a week later that we had our annual youth camp. And I remember getting to the camp, and on the opening night, Jillian and I had, to our name, $1,000 after we'd just been to Europe. You can imagine, it took everything to go. It was an amazing privilege, but we were drained. We had $1,000 left. We're like, conserve, conserve, conserve. We're gonna keep this money to keep us going. And on the opening night of the youth camp, God speaks to me and he says, I want you to give that $1,000 in the offering at the camp. That's okay when you're single and living with mom and dad. It's a whole different deal when you're married. So then I sit down with Jillian like midnight that night and I said, baby, this is what I feel like God is telling me to do. And the next morning, I was like still feeling that this is what God's told me to do. This was a Friday night. The camp went till Monday because it was Queen's birthday weekend. And so I'm going through Saturday. I want you to give the $1,000. The offering was on the Sunday night. So on the Sunday night, man, holding hands with Jillian, all the faith and earnestness you've ever seen. We put that money into the offering container as it came past us. And then we're like, bye, bye, thousand dollar pie. <laughs> Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the le- it, was, it was gone. It's like, that's it. Went to bed that night, like just looking up, you know, the ceiling just spinning. And at, the next morning at breakfast, this is a true story, not a joke. A guy came up to me at breakfast and he said, John, Honestly, since I heard about you going to the UK, going to Europe for that meeting with Reinhard Bonnke, I've felt to do something and I've been really struggling with it. And last night, after the offering, I was in the meeting and God told me, you need to obey me and you need to do this now. And this is a true story. He gave me a check for $9,000. Amazing. Amazing. God is able. But he looks for those who are willing. He looks for those who are willing. He looks for those who are willing. God is able, but will we be willing? That is what we need to decide when it comes to this arena of giving. Because then it gets crazy. If we go to the next verse, this is literally what God says in verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich. You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion and so that through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving towards God. Wow. God supplies bread for food, but he also supplies seed to sowers. When God finds people with a heart to give, he says, if I can get it through you, I can get it to you. If you will have a heart to give, then I'm actually looking for people like that. I'm looking for people. He supplies seed to sowers. He supplies the ability to give to those who have a heart to give. That's what the Bible is teaching. And he says, firstly, I can do that. And secondly, as the keyboardist comes and join me, I just have the keyboards. He says, I can supply and I can increase the store of your seed. And I will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. 
So two things. Not only does he look for people who have a heart to give, when he finds a heart to give, he starts to increase that person's ability to give. So he says, now I'm going to supply and increase not just your seed. I'm not just going to supply your seed, but I'm going to increase the store of your seed. So over the journey of your giving life, I'm going to give you an increased ability to give on another scale to what you've given before. And then he says, secondly, I would enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You know, for a bunch of years, I told all the stories whenever I did this kind of chat about the early days when I gave everything away on these occasions and I didn't have fresh ones. And then we built the Arise Center. And God said to me, I want you to go first. I want you to go first. And so Jillian and I, over the next two years of, of giving, building the Arise Center, gave more money than we have ever dreamed we would ever be able to do. It was an amazing season for us. And to watch what the Lord did was incredible. That's why I like, I think everybody should have a faith gap. In the plan of our lives, it's just good to give God room to say, Lord, I want you to bless me. I wanna be part of this giving thing. And so we made room. We, we said, God, we're gonna do this now. You know, At the end of the day, we could just end up in greater debt on our mortgage, but this is what we've decided in our hearts to do. And the Lord just began to provide. Like it was amazing. It began to just miracles, just like things, things seemed to cost less than we thought. The money just seemed to be there. I'd written a book called Momentum and suddenly people started buying like a hundred copies, giving it to everybody in their business and their, all the small group leaders and large churches. And I was like, buy it for the glory of God, buy it. And then it was amazing. We were able to do something we've never done before. God enlarged the store of our seed. But then the coolest thing for me is the harvest of righteousness. We, we have this whole thing we do called one seat, one soul. And, and I always like to think about it because I know how many seats that is for me. And I can look at like a block of this auditorium, you know, and just say, I did that. And then I watch people lift their hands every Sunday and say yes to a personal relationship with Jesus. That's why we build buildings here to rise. It's a, it's a material seed for a spiritual harvest. That's all it is. We don't love buildings. We love the lost finding Jesus. And so I stand in those services. I watch his hands go up. And I'm like, man, this is better than anything. This is better than a trip. This is better than a holiday house. This is amazing. Because I, I got to live in a miracle. And now I get to watch a miracle. Don't give because you have to. Give because you get to. Give because you get to give. Give so the world will be changed. Give so the church will be built. Give so that hell gets empty and heaven gets filled. Give to see revival. Give to see your life alive with kingdom purpose. Give because God wants us to give.